welcome to the Faith for All podcast. This week, we will be looking at a sermon by Pastor Dana O'Brien on the book of Jonah. We hope you find meaning in this message. All right, so as I just said a little while ago, um, this is our third and final sermon in our Jonah series. We could go on and on. There's really just so much so many little pearls of wisdom in this book, but we've got to stop because we've got to tackle something else next week. So today we're going to focus on the end of the parable. And, and like so many of Jesus' parables, um, it's the end that has the, the real crux of the story. That's the heart of, of this story. But first, just to make sure that we're all on the same page, um, I'm going to kind of quickly recap where we've been the last two weeks. And if you want to follow along, um, Jonah is one of the minor prophets. It comes after Obadiah. I had a heck of a time finding it just now. But if you have this red book here, it starts on page 1441. And if you have a different Bible, um, then you're on your own because I can't help you. Um, anyway, so we begin with the, a, a prophet named Jonah, and he's called by God to go preach to the Assyrian city named Nineveh. Jonah doesn't go to Nineveh. In fact, he runs in the opposite direction and gets on a ship sailing about as far as possible from, from Nineveh. Now, we don't, we don't know exactly, at this point, we don't know exactly why Jonah runs, but we do know that God doesn't let Jonah get away, okay? So when the, the ship is caught in a terrible storm, and Jonah, knowing that it's his disobedience that has caused the storm, tells the sailors to throw him overboard in order to save the ship, God is waiting. Actually, more, more appropriately, God has a big fish waiting, okay? So the fish swallows Jonah to keep him from drowning after the sailors throw him overboard. And that's the part of the story that we all probably know. We probably remember it from when we were kids in Sunday school or, or saw it in VBS or whatever. But we know there's more. In fact, there's a lot more. Most of the important stuff happens after Jonah gets eaten by the fish. While in the belly of the fish for three days, Jonah has a sort of, sort of come to God kind of meeting. Okay? He, never, he never repents of his prior actions, but he does express thanks for God's gracious rescue, and he promises to obey God in the future. So God is gracious. God is gracious and has the fish complete Jonah's rescue by spitting him out on the dry land. And then God gives Jonah a second chance and again calls Jonah to go preach to the, the city of Nineveh. And this time, Jonah goes, although he goes very reluctantly. But despite, despite Jonah's completely uninspired and lackluster sermon, right, what is it? Forty days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. Despite that, this, the entire city, the entire city and all its animals repents. Over 100,000 over people, okay? They're, they're hoping against hope. They have no certainty, but they're hoping against hope that God will change God's mind. And, and so by doing, by doing that, the, the Ninevite king and all the city's inhabitants and all the animals, um, they evidence genuine repentance. They, they put on sackcloth um, they, and they sit in ashes, okay? So we pick up the story of Jonah at the end of chapter 3. I'm going to start in, in chapter 3, verse 10, and I'm going to read through the end, okay? Now, when God saw what the Ninevites did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, 
take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be so angry? But Jonah, Jonah didn't even respond. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die again, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it so right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, Jonah said, and I am so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, but did you, you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and then it died overnight. And should I not have concern for that great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from the left, and so many animals. The end. Okay, now, we'll go back. It turns out that Jonah's preaching is an amazing success. The entire city repents, and God, seeing their sincerity, doesn't destroy them. Now, one might expect Jonah to be happy, right? I sure would be happy if I could get that kind of response out of an eight-word sermon, but no, no. Jonah is not happy. In fact, Jonah is livid. He is so angry at God that his second prayer, and his second prayer makes you wonder about his first prayer. How, how honest was it really, okay? Because his second prayer is so angry that it's one big enraged, I told you so, to God, right? He's steamed. He's steamed. And, and why is he steamed? Because Jonah doesn't want the people of Nineveh to repent. He wants them destroyed, okay? He wants them destroyed. And finally, finally, in, verse, in chapter 4, we find out why in chapter 1, Jonah didn't go to Nineveh in the first place. He didn't go. He didn't want to go because he knew what would happen. He knew that if given half a chance, God would forgive the Ninevites. It sounds pretty rotten, right? I mean, it's not what one would expect from a follower of God, much less a, a prophet of God, right? But, but before we jump all over Jonah, and I am going to do some jumping all over Jonah later on, but before we jump all over him, remember, remember that Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and the Assyrians were... They were known as barbaric and cruel. Their, what they did to their captives when they were in battle, would, I, I don't even want to go there. Okay? They were also the arch enemies of the northern kingdom of Israel. Actually, both kingdoms, but the northern kingdom of Israel, where the real Jonah the prophet lived. In fact, in 722 BC, and if you can, for those of you who were here a couple years ago, we looked at the whole Bible and we looked at the Old Testament. So if you can remember, there was a northern and southern kingdom. And in 722 BCE, the northern kingdom was completely destroyed by the Assyrians, okay? And they took a bunch of people away into exile, okay? Now, and we know this because in Jesus' time, um, some of the people who were left, who weren't pulled away and taken into exile, who still remained in the northern kingdom, we know those people, the descendants of those people, are Samaritans, okay? And we hear Jesus talk about Samaritans all the time. And you may remember that by the time we get to Jesus, 700 years later, the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other, too. So they were, they were enemies as well. It's funny how, how our friends turn into our enemies sometimes, right? So Jonah's response to God's call to preach to the Ninevites is, isn't really as surprising as we might think. I mean, these guys are barbaric. They're the arch enemies. It would be 
It would be like, like God calling a rabbi to go to preach to the Nazis after World War II, okay? Or it would be like a New Yorker being called to preach to Al-Qaeda right after 9-11. It would, it would be like calling a, a, a person from Ukraine to preach to the Russians right now, right? Okay? We can, we can understand that in, in times like these, repentance just isn't what's desired. Instead, it's, it's vengeance. And I, you know, intellectually we say no, no, no. But in our gut, we say, yeah, maybe, maybe a little bit. People want vengeance, they want destruction. Sometimes, sometimes we just want our enemies to crash and burn, okay? I mean, it's, it's how we feel in our gut. But it's not what Jonah gets. It's not what Jonah gets. And in his anger, this is really important, in his anger, Jonah quotes a well-known phrase from Exodus 34, okay? Right after God forgave the Israelites, remember, he, pulled, he brings the Israelites out of, out of Egypt. Moses goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, which the kids are learning about right now. While he's up there, the Israelites can't wait even a little while. They, they make a golden calf and they start worshiping it, right? Not good, not smart. God is about to smite them all. I love that word. God is about to smite them all. And Jonah, and Jonah pleads their case and says, no, 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 don't do this, don't do this. God relents, doesn't do it. And then God gives this self-revelation. God tells Moses that God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, okay? And that, and that phrase has been used, I mean, if you're Jewish, you are fam as familiar with this phrase as Christians are with John 3.16. That's how, that's how common it is. And you, it appears all over the Old Testament in praise to God. The, 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 everybody is happy that God is, is gen gracious and slow to anger, right? That's a, that's a good thing. Except here, it's not a good thing, okay? Here, Jonah doesn't use it as, as praise to God. Instead, he throws it back in God's face as an insult. How dare you, God, be so gracious to my enemies, right? How dare you not destroy them as I, as I wanted to? But of course, and this is just one of the many ironies running through this book, right? Had Jonah, Jonah wouldn't have been standing there berating God if God wasn't gracious and slow to anger, right? Because, because God rescued Jonah earlier in the chapter. And, and it's, it's that graciousness, that, that mercy that God extends to Jonah that Jonah's very happy about, but when God extends it to Jonah's enemies, not so happy at all. And so that's, that's the crux of this story, right? Jonah is really, really thankful when God extends God's grace and mercy to him, but he doesn't want God to be so gracious and merciful to others, especially others who are his enemies, okay? Now, remember we, we learned in week one that God doesn't give up on Jonah, just like God doesn't give up on us. So despite Jonah's temper tantrum at the beginning of verse four, uh, chapter 4, God sticks with him. God tries to reason with him. You know, this is like talking to a two-year-old, okay? God, Jonah's response, he'd rather die. He'd rather die than be associated with a God who loves the Ninevites, okay? That's how much he dis detests God's position. So God gets creative, okay? And, and this, is, this is really creative. I certainly would have thought of this. Jonah's sitting on this hill outside the city of Nineveh, Nineveh watching to see if things change. Maybe he's hoping that the people repent of their repentance and God ends up destroying them anyway, okay? But it's hot, okay? And Jonah, and Jonah's sitting on that hill, and so God gives Jonah a plant that grows and provides him with some shade. And did you notice, did you notice? It is the only time in the entire four-chapter book of Jonah where Jonah's, Jonah's happy. He's deliriously happy about this little plant that sits over his head and provides him with some shade. So this is God's lesson. Overnight, God sends a worm that eats the plant so that, that it withers. And Jonah, where does, what happens to Jonah? He again, he again wants to die. This is definitely a drama queen we have here in Jonah, okay? He's definitely over the top. 
So again, again, God tries to reason with him. You know, I mean, and we do this with our kids, you know, asking him, you know, are you, are you, are you really angry about this, uh, the loss of this plant? How justified is, is your anger? And Jonah says, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely justified. I'm, I'm righteous to be, ang- I'm right to be angry about this. He obstinate pro- obstinately proclaims the righteousness of his anger. So God responds, okay, okay, if that's true, let's take it as a given that you're right to be angry about the death of this plant. If that's true, and your concern is justified, even though you had it only one day, and even though you didn't do anything to care for it, it just came up and then, and then died, which makes you wonder if the only reason Jonah wasn't concerned about it was because it benefited him. If it had grown, you know, five feet over, would he have cared so much? Eh, I don't think so. But then, regardless, if Jonah was justified in his concern for this plant, this insignificant little plant, should not God be even more concerned with the 120,000 people and their animals, right? Shouldn't they matter more to God? And that's how it ends. That's how the, that's how the book ends. The question is left hanging there. We don't know what Jonah does. We, we have no idea what he says. But here's the thing. To focus on what Jonah does and says after this is to miss the point of the book. Because the book was never about Jonah anyway. It was about us. The book was all about us, and it was all about God, okay? First, that story reminds us that God is exactly who Jonah says God is. God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. This is the God, this is the God who created and loves us beyond measure. This is, this is the God who calls us God's children and never gives up on us, giving us second and third and fourth and fiftieth chances. This is the God who will do pretty much anything to be in relationship with us, right? And that's wonderfully good news for each and every one of us here. But it's not just good news for us. It's good news for everyone because God created all people and God loves all of them, all, calling all of them children, wanting to be in relationship with all of them. And here's where it becomes hard. Even those who are different from us, even those we don't like all that much and maybe who don't like us, even those we would consider our enemies. And this is a lot harder to take, right? Because here's the thing, we all want this. We want a God who is on our side. We want a God who is on our side. We want a God whose enemies are our enemies, right? We want a God who loves us so much that God loves what we love, and God hates what we hate. Now, if you were with us um, months ago when we were doing the, um, when we were looking at the, uh, uh, the Lord's Prayer, we know that it goes the other way around. We grow in more intimate relationship with God, and we grow to love what God loves and to hate what God hates instead of the other way around. See, we aren't in control. We aren't calling the shots. We aren't God here. So God doesn't love what we love and hate what we hate. That's not the kind of God that we've got. We don't call the shots. So the question posed here at the end of this book, posed to Jonah, but really posed to us, is are we on board with a God who loves everyone? Are we okay with a God who loves even our enemies? Now, we intellectually say, of course, of course we are. We sing about it. In fact, we'll sing about it today. We sing about it. We talk about it in in worship all the time. But really, really, what about, the, what about the people who have deeply hurt us or hurt those that we love? What about people who are just downright rotten and evil, right? Is it okay that we have a God that loves them too? Can we, can we live with that kind of a God? Because guys, that's the kind of a God we've got. 
that's the kind of a God we've got. We have a God who recognizes God's image, however tarnished it may be in all of us, right? We have a, a God who loves us like we're the only person in the entire world, but who loves every other person that exact same way. And then, and then God takes it a step further. And God tells us, not only does God love our enemies, you know what's coming, we're called to love our enemies too. We're called to love our enemies too. Jesus talks about it all the time, you guys. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And not only did Jesus talk about it, right? He lived it. He lived it. He showed us exactly how to do that. On the cross, he said seven things, but, but this particular thing that he said, he says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And you know what it sounds a lot like? It sounds a lot like a bunch of people who don't know their right hands from their lefts, right? Sounds just like, the, just like what God said to Jonah. We're called to live like that, okay? To love our enemies, to forgive them over and over and over again, to pray, to actually pray for the welfare of people we don't like. Now, we might want to say that that's just crazy. You guys, that's just crazy. Nobody can live like that. That's, that's not the way the world works. Jesus is nuts to ask us to do it. Maybe a couple of, of super, super saints, but not, not us ordinary people. But then we are reminded that this is how God originally created all of us. This is how God originally set up this world. We, we are the ones. We are the ones who, 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 who walked away from it. We are the ones who messed it all up. Humanity, all of us, we're the ones who got it all backwards. That's not the way God originally designed this world to work. After all, think about it. Who is God's enemy in the story that we just read, in the story of Jonah? It's not the sailors who want to do the right thing. It's not the fish or the worm or the storm or the plant. They do exactly what they're supposed to do. It's not even the Ninevites, right? They repent. They respond. There's only one person left. You guys, it's Jonah. Jonah is God's enemy in this story, okay? Jonah is the one who continually disobeys, who continually walks away and insults God. Jonah doesn't see it, okay? But if the devastation that Jonah wants God to visit on God's enemies actually occurs, yeah, the Ninevites will get it, but who else is going to get it? Jonah's going to get it. God's devastation will be visited on him, too. But instead, God extends grace to all of us, to Jonah, to the Ninevites, to us today, yes, even to our enemies. Guys, we know this. None of us have the high ground. None of us have anything to stand on, right? We're all sinners. We all fall short. None of us can repair our broken relationship with God on our own. But yet God is true to God's self. God is true to God's self, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. So God, who loved the world so much, gives us Jesus. That's how God loves us. God gives us Jesus, and Jesus does for us that which we cannot do for ourselves. Paul reminds us, God shows his love for us by sending his son to die for us while we were sinners, while we were still God's enemies. That's how much God loves us, all of us. You guys, it's not easy to worship a God who loves our enemies. It's even harder. It's, it's way, way harder to try and love our enemies ourselves. But that is the scandalous nature of God's love. That's the scandalous nature of God's grace. It is given to all, and it is given despite the fact that no one deserves it. No one. And the reason is because if there's any place where the downward spiral of hating each other, of living as each other's enemies stop, it stops at the cross. 
It stops at the cross. It's all level ground at the foot of the cross. We're all there together. And those of us who form ourselves around the cross, who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we're invited to live just like Jesus lived. Just like Jesus lived. And we don't do it because we're better than anyone else, right? We're all sinners. We're all falling short. We do it simply because that's who God is. We do it simply because that's who Jesus is. And that's who we are all called to be. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this sermon series on Jonah and were able to apply some of this message to your daily living. Come back next week when we will start Pastor Dana's sermon series on how we welcome others. Faith for All was created by Cross of Glory Church. If you would like more information on Cross of Glory, please visit our webpage at crossofglory.com where you can learn more about the church, see our upcoming events, and watch previous services and sermons. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Everyone, and we do mean everyone, is welcome to join us at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday morning for worship on our website, Facebook, YouTube, or in person at 14719 West 163rd Street, Homer Glen, Illinois. Faith for All is available on Podbean, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Todd Mazera created our original music, Jeff Wanderson handled the production duties, and I'm Andrew Morin. Thank you for joining us.